You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. And welcome back to Circling Sales Sports on Converge Media. I am your host, as always, Charles Hammaker, here with you uh, back in the Black Media Matter studio here uh, in the city of Seattle. Good to be back. Good to be here in front of the the, the camera and the bright light. Uh, makes me look somewhat better than I already am. So that's nice to see as we approach the, uh, the end of the month of May, which, again, I talk about it every week. It's crazy um, to think about that. But, you know, we've got so much going on already. Uh, you know, just about every team is, is underway in some sort of fashion or just finishing up their season. So uh, it's a ton of fun to look into that uh, and continue on here uh, as we get into the summer. Uh, after a, a bit of an odd spring, but an odd spring isn't anything surprising uh, for us here in the city of Seattle. So um, nothing really going on in the Seahawks department following rookie mini camp um, and that taking place. Nothing that really developed too much out of that. It's really short. It's rookie mini camp. You get the guys out, they get numbers, you get some other guys to try out. Uh, and we will probably get very little news with the Seahawks going forward until we hit about August or so, um, unless something happens, which is unlikely. So the only thing that I wanted to talk about or touch on in the sort of league news related segment um, was the death of legend Jim Brown. Jim Brown, legendary running back, legendary on and off the field uh, for what he did Um you know, not only for the the game of football in the NFL, uh, but for black athletes everywhere. Um, his family on May 19th confirmed that he passed away peacefully in his Los Angeles home uh, at the age of 87. One of the arguably one of the greatest runners of all time. Some put him up at the top. Uh, I, I wouldn't debate that sort of thing right now. I think it's insensitive. Um but it's it, you can't deny his off the field impact as well as what he was able to do um, on the field as well. So um, a true legend of the game uh, is now passed on uh, to the gridiron in heaven. So uh, we move on here to our Seattle Mariners who continued on a tough East Coast road trip, um, finishing that out. And they will be back in Seattle today, Monday, May 22nd. Um, they continued that road trip after being uh, out in Detroit. Um, they headed out to Boston. They shipped out to Boston May 15th, beginning that series, a three game set with a 10 to one win. So things were going good. Uh, our player of the game was catcher Cal Raleigh, three hits, three runs and four RBIs for a multi Homer day. Cal Raleigh became the first catcher in history at Fenway park to hit a home run from both sides of the plate as he is a switch hitter. He didn't hit one over the monster, over the green monster. Um, and if you saw any of that, there was a, a Red Sox fan who flipped him the double bird after that ball sailed over the green monster. So that was kind of funny to watch. Uh, but things were looking good. You know, it was the Mariners offense has kind of petered along throughout the course of the season. So for them to really get in there against Boston and jump um, all over Red Sox pitcher Tanner Hawk uh, was great to see. You know, that kind of win is, is nice, and especially starting a series against Boston, who's been one of the better offensive teams in all of baseball to begin the year as well. Uh, so to hold into one run outside of the fact that the Mariners scored 10 runs is a big deal. 
<coughs> excuse me. Um, May 16th, the second game in Boston in that series was a four to nine loss. So not as much of that uh, from game one continuing. I uh, played the game right fielder, Tay Oscar Hernandez. Teo, two hits, one run, two RBIs, including a triple in that game. But Seattle just not enough. Uh, and the pitching staff wasn't able to do enough in that game as well uh, to hold, again, that really good Boston offense. Um to a lower number and that set up a nice rubber match. You think, okay, both teams have won blowouts on back-to-back games. What's going to happen in game three? Uh, Boston had a big blowout in game three to take that series. May 17th, a three to 12 victory for the Red Sox. Our put of the game, uh, second baseman who shifted over to shortstop, Jose Caballero, Caballero, one hit, one run, one RBI and two walks on the day. Cabby continuing to be, um, effective when he comes into the game, uh, whenever he needs to be, that would send the Mariners down to Atlanta to battle the best team in the national league. And one of the best teams in baseball over the past three years, or so, uh, the Atlanta Braves. Um, things things didn't start out too great. Uh, May nineteenth, the series would begin in the A, a two to six loss. Our player of the game, right fielder Teoscar Hernandez, two hits, one run. No, pardon me, two hits in an RBI. Tough one there. Uh, this one was relatively tight for a decent bit of time, uh, but Atlanta was able to pull away uh, and start the series off with a victory of their own. Um, on May 20th, in the second game of the series, Seattle would even things up in a comeback effort um, with a 7-3 win. Our player of the game, third baseman A. Eugenio Suarez. Gino brought the good vibes and three runs across, two hits, two runs, and three RBIs, including a two-run homer to put the stamp on this victory. Uh, Logan Gilbert struggled relatively early but was able to rebound, and so was the Mariners' offense, as they're able to hang seven runs um, on Atlanta. So that was nice to see. Um, May 21st at the Braves, though, in the rubber match of the series, was a 7-3 to three victory. Uh, pardon me, a 7-2-3 loss. I'm all over the place. 2-3 loss. Our play of the game, second baseman, Jose Caballero, one hit, one run, one RBI, one walk, and three stolen bases on the day. So again, another instance um, where Seattle was relatively quiet offensively uh, and just not able to generate enough in another one run loss for the team to send Seattle back home uh, with a four and five record on that road trip, which isn't the worst thing in the world. We'll talk about it more in a second, but first we have our player of the week um, and just mentioning his name. Uh, we're going to go straight to Jose Caballero with this photo by Liz Walter. Uh, in the last seven games, 15 at-bats, four hits, three runs, one homer, his first MLB homer uh, in Atlanta, three RBIs, five walks, three stolen bases, and a 267 batting average. While those numbers don't necessarily jump off the page, uh, Caballero has been able to come in, provide solid defense at the infield position, whether he's been playing at shortstop or second base, uh, and has been effective as Colton Wong has struggled early in the season. Sam Haggerty hasn't been able to come in and have an impact like he did last year, and Dylan Moore continues to work back from an injury that he suffered uh, last season. Um so perhaps the Caballero again, those that the batting average doesn't necessarily jump off the page. The the hitting numbers over the past seven games aren't anything crazy per se. Um, you know, just a few days ago, Ty France had a, I believe it was a 14 game hitting streak ended. Um, but Caballero has been able to come in a guy that some thought might make the opening day roster, not be able to do so head down to Tacoma, wait that out and then get his contract selected um, and be essentially a mainstay with the Mariners roster ever since then. Um, 
he's been a big help. But looking at the road trip, I mean, a four and five record on that road trip, uh, you know, at Detroit, you probably should have won all of those games in Detroit. Uh, Boston, Boston's Boston and Atlanta. Those are two good ball clubs. But I mean, if we look at it here, the Boston series, I, I, it's hard to equate that because the two losses that you suffered were both blowouts. Um, that's just unfortunate to look at. Um, we look at the Atlanta series, uh, that game, game one kind of got away from you. Unfortunately, uh, that's something where, you know, the, the, the pitching staff has to be better all around. And then in game three, just not being able to get enough runs across to, win that one another one run loss you know the one run losses everybody talks about oh the mariners can't win these games as much anymore uh, when they were doing so at a historic rate the last two years something that no team has ever done and wasn't sustainable so i, I you know it needs to kind of be removed from the mind that the mariners is going to be able to click it and find that magic again to start winning these one run games in uncanny fashion it just wasn't sustainable it wasn't going to continue to happen um it, it was surprised that it even happened last year as much as it did, you know, uh, and you can attribute that to resilience or fight or whatever it ha you have. Um, but the, the rate at which they won those run one run games was not sustainable. It was not, you know, getting into that many situations, they need to get better offensively and they haven't really done that um, to this point in the season. So they just need to get better offensively. We've talked about this for the last three years or so. Um, and it just hasn't really improved too much, you know, so that continues to be an issue. I can harp on it all I want, but it continues to be an issue and it doesn't can, hasn't been solved yet really. So um, we look over here in injury news. I know I mentioned Dylan Moore on the 17th of May, Dylan Moore began a rehab assignment with the Everett Aqua Sox in the three games that he's played to this point as of today, the 22nd, He's had eight at-bats, two hits, one run, two total bases, one RBI, two walks, and three strikeouts so far. Uh, nothing too crazy with Demo there, but, you know, obviously the biggest thing is not necessarily posting these big, great numbers, but making sure that he's able to do what the Mariners want him to do and he's able to get uh, fully back to strength and not deal with any setbacks like he has uh, previously uh, this season. So that's about it for team related news and such the team has just kind of continued to roll on we don't really have too much injury related wise or roster related wise as things continue on prelander baroa was in the clubhouse over the past few days but there was no roster move made so that might have been a precautionary thing we might see something in this oakland series but i doubt it i feel meh. We'll see. We'll keep you updated, of course, um, in case something like that does happen. Um, it's a great reminder to follow us on social media for something like that. Um, but anyways, looking ahead, the Mariners following that nine-game road trip get to come back home and have a nice long homestand uh, in the friendly confines of T-Mobile Park, starting with a four-game set against the Oakland Athletics. Uh, all four of those games are starting at 6.40 p.m. Pacific time, which is kind of interesting. All four of them, May 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and 25th, will all be against the Athletics, all of them here at T-Mobile Park, and all of them starting at 6.40 p.m., which is, again, kind of interesting, um, but not the biggest deal in the world. Considering just how bad the athletics have been this season um, and the fact that the Mariners let things slip while the Astros were slipping in the division and uh, missing a grand opportunity, Seattle likely needs to take all of these games uh, against this athletics team, and there should be no reason why they don't. Um, following that athletic series, they will uh, continue to stay home and they will host the Pittsburgh Pirates for a rare visit here in Seattle. 
May 26th through 28th. May 26th is a 7.10 p.m. Pacific time game, while May 27th and 28th are 1.10 p.m. Pacific time games, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, the 27th is J.P. Crawford Funko Pop Night, which is one of the cooler Funko Pops I've ever seen. Uh, it might just be because it's J.P. But four games set against the Oakland Athletics starting tonight, and then three games against the Pittsburgh Pirates lasting through Sunday. <coughs> Excuse me again. Um, with that, we go over here to our Seattle Storm, who are beginning a new era in their franchise history. No Sue Bird, no Brianna Stewart, uh, and a essentially completely no new look roster. Um, and in the season opener, it wasn't the greatest greatest thing in the world. Um, our Storm would drop that one uh, by a score of one hundred five to sixty four. That forty one point differential is the biggest loss in franchise history. Uh, this one was just a struggle throughout uh, essentially the course of the game. Uh, things started off well, and then in the second quarter, everything kind of just went downhill. Our player of the game, uh, shooting guard Jewel Lloyd. Lloyd, 22 points, four rebounds, three assists, one steal, and two blocks on the day. And even Jewel's game relatively wasn't that great. We look to our photo of the game here by Matthew Bermudez, who was on site for us. You've got Jewel Lloyd and former University of Washington alum Kelsey Plum in the, the bottom of the photo there, while uh, Sue Bird was in attendance in the front row. I uh, just thought, you know, to have Sue there was pretty cool, uh, watching her former teammate. Not the best result to watch, though. Uh, looking at this game, you know, it was it was tough. It was a tough one. You know, there the expectations were low for the Storm team already going into the season. That makes a ton of sense. You know, there are a bunch of players who are relatively unproven and a bunch of younger players and rookies on this roster. And, and the expectations are low. The expectations are this is going to be a team that fights for one of the the bottom three picks in all of the uh, in all the draft the next year. So that makes a ton of sense. Uh, but in the first quarter, the first quarter, this team fought pretty well and kept pace with the aces. Uh, Yvonne Turner, starting at point guard, a four-year WNBA veteran, uh, was pushing the pace pretty well. Mercedes Russell, returning off of playing essentially no games last year, uh, was able to get in the paint pretty well and produce some offense. Uh, and Seattle's active defense was able to keep them in it for the first 15 minutes. After the first 15 minutes, though, it wasn't quite the same. Uh, Las Vegas was able to dominate the paint. Seattle's paint presence was nearly non-existent, um, both on offense and defense, whether protecting the rim or trying to get to the rim. And ultimately, it hurt them because they were able to dominate inside. Las Vegas didn't really have to do much from the perimeter, even though they can, uh, because they were able to get so much in the paint. And when Seattle would try to help inside, Vegas was able to kick it out and hit from the perimeter or from the field. So it was tough. I mean, Seattle, uh, Las Vegas essentially was able to run laps around Seattle after that first quarter, which makes sense. I mean, it's really hard to usher in a new era of storm basketball against this Aces team that, was already stacked last year winning the WNBA championship, um, but then getting Candace Parker and having essentially the same group go forward into this next year uh, and still be, you know, one of the likely two teams that will be in the finals. So it was a tough one. Uh, there's still a lot uh, that I think, uh, you know, the fight that was shown and some of the flashes that were shown in this game were positive. And I really think that they could help the storm win some games this season, but yeah, it's it, it's a tough stretch considering that you start the season off against the Aces. You all three of these first few games are at home, thankfully, which is nice. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
But the next game is against Dallas, and Dallas is still a good roster despite kind of some retooling. And then the Liberty, who are one of the two major super teams in this league. So two of your first three games are against the two major super teams in the league while you're trying to usher some of these rookies and some of these younger players in and trying to get some chemistry built um, outside of a limited preseason. So it's it's a tough way to usher in a new era, and I, I would like to ask that you know we, we give this team some grace because – it's a very different look. This is, you know, now an era where uh, outside of the first few years when the series, the franchise was beginning, now there will be no more Sue Bird. She's been such a constant for this team. There's no Brianna Stewart who's been around for a long time. Jewel Lloyd is trying to hold down the fort. So, but there's still some flashes here. Uh, number nine overall pick Jordan Horson had some solid moments, was able to fill different parts of the stat sheet. Um, and as the game went along, looked more comfortable. Uh, but she's still a rookie, and this is a tough matchup. At times, they had her against Asia Wilson, who's one of the top two best players in all of the WNBA. You know, it's it's tough to throw most of this roster into the fire like this. Um, Ivana Dojkic, who had a limited preseason with this roster as well, was able to come in and bring in some offense off the bench, uh, whether it was you know hustle on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, uh, while getting some quick ja- quick baskets and just bringing instant offense while bringing hustle defensively uh, was nice to see. And, I, you know, if, if that's any indication of the way that she's going to play this game, she very well could be the starter at some point in time. Uh, Kia Nurse only played three, point, three minutes in the second half, which is kind of concerning for who you've got starting at small forward. Um, there was no minutes restriction for her, nothing injury-wise, that just the flow of the game. But to say flow of the game and only get three minutes from – you know, you're starting small forward. Not, not great. Um, let's try to see the rest of the roster here. Yeah, the, this, the paint presence wasn't great. You know, Seattle got dominated rebounds-wise and points in the paints-wise. Um, and rebounding was something that they struggled with last year as well. So some things to look at going forward. But again, um, I'm more interested in watching how some of these players develop moving forward as opposed to worrying about the different wins and losses that are going to happen throughout the course of the season, more than likely a lot of losses. Um, <coughs> excuse me. In team-related notes, on May 16th, the team waved forward Jasmine Walker uh, as the team started to move towards that finalized uh, opening day roster. Walker was a first-round pick, seventh overall by the Los Angeles Sparks in the 2021 draft out of Alabama. Uh, she only appeared in two games before a knee injury ended her rookie season. Uh, she returned to action in 2022 with the Sparks, playing in 32 games while only making one start. She was traded to Connecticut on January 16th as part of a four-player deal, but waived just uh, a month later by the Sun. Uh, tried to get her into Seattle and didn't end up working, uh, which helped us get down to our finalized roster. Uh, the team would also release uh, Teresa Plaisance, which was interesting. I thought she was going to make this roster, but um, not end up being the case. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the finalized roster would go Kia Nurse, Kayla Charles, Jade Melbourne, Arella Girantes, Dulce Fankum, Mengiadu, Enzi Magbagor, Ivana Doikic, Mercedes Russell, Yvonne Turner, Jordan Horston, Jewel Lloyd, and Sammy Whitcomb. There's a lot, you know, again, it's, it's a lot of young players. There's not the, – the only players here that are over – five years of experience are all the players who have had the most ties to Seattle and Mercedes Russell, Jewel Lloyd, um, and Sammy Whitcomb. Everybody else is under four years of experience. Um, most of them under three. So 
you know, this is a team that's going to have its growing pains and it's going to have to learn a lot, but it, it's a new era, you know, to get to where the Sue Bird teams and the Lauren Jackson teams and the Brianna Seward teams were at, you have to go through stretches like this. And, you know, Seattle's going to have to go through that. You know, you think about the way that Seattle acquired talents like Sue, like Stewie, like Jewel. It was they had to get the number one overall pick. So maybe that's a Caitlin Clark in some time or, ah, you know, and not, not, it's too early in the season to worry about something like that. So um, the Storm have an 0-1 overall record. They are six in the Western Conference right now, which is the bottom of the Western Conference. Looking ahead, their next game is May 26th versus the Dallas Wings with a 7 p.m. Pacific time tip-off. <coughs> As I mentioned, these next few games are all at Climate Pledge Arena. And then May 30th versus the New York Liberty is a 6 p.m. start. Uh, again, this is one of the two um, huge super teams that's going to be on this roster. I mean, in the WNBA, um, you know, this is Brianna Stewart's first game back home in Seattle um, after she came off of a 45.13 rebound game yesterday uh, against Indiana. So, it's it again. It's a very tough introduction to the league uh, for some of these players, and just to have it start this way. Um, but you know, that's it's. I guess these are great learning opportunities. Uh, if we look over here, this game against the Wings is going to be on Ion. If you're local here in the state of Washington, you can watch it on Amazon Prime Video, which is probably what I'll be doing. Um, and then the game against the Liberty. What? The game against the Liberty um, is on ESPN2. So that's how that all shakes out here. In terms of losses and things like that, uh, the Sounders continued their poor form um, after struggling, what, the last few weeks, losing to Sporting Kansas City at home, losing to LA Galaxy on the road in the U.S. Open Cup, getting a nice win against the Houston Dynamos miraculously because of Paul Rothrock's late goal. Um, things wouldn't continue with that positive stretch, though, from that Dynamo win um, as the Sounders would fall to Austin FC at home in a 1-2 loss. Our player of the match forward, Freddie Montero, uh, 7.4 match rating, one goal, two shots, a 92% passing percentage, and one chance created as a late substitute coming in and converting Seattle's only goal of the match. Then we move over here. To May 20th at the Vancouver Whitecaps, Seattle would go up north for their first battle against Vancouver this season, um, and things didn't go so well. Seattle is now 0-2 in the Cascadia Cup uh, matches that they've played so far this year after the embarrassing defeat to Portland earlier in the season. Um, and they get blanked here in Vancouver, obviously with shutouts and especially a shutout against Vancouver. There's no player of the match. This is just frustrating. Um, we'll look here <coughs> excuse me, at the injury reports for these matches um, against Austin. Uh, the, the players that were out are the same for both Austin and Vancouver um, midfielder. Ethan Dobelair was out with a right ankle sprain. Midfielder Obed Vargas was out with an international duty. Um, and then the three usual suspects, Christian Roldan was out with concussion protocol, who's still dealing with those symptoms and trying to get them down to zero. Defender Kellen Rowe out with a left knee sprain and forward Raul Rui Diaz with a left hamstring strain, even though there are some murmurs that he might be ready soon. Uh, he should be training in full with the club this week. Again, those same 
five that were out for Austin were the same five out for Vancouver. Uh, there was no questionable against Vancouver, uh, but two questionable versus Austin. Leo Chu was questionable with a left midfoot sprain, and defender Nuhu was questionable as he continues to deal with malaria. <clears throat> but he was able to play um, against Vancouver and didn't have this restriction there. The, it, the Sounders team is very interesting uh, because it's it's interesting. It, they're a little bit similar to last year's team uh, towards the end of the year because you know it's a lot of the same same club, right? Um, but that second half Sounders team in the regular season just couldn't generate much. The Sounders team has some good generation. You know they've got some of the most expected goals um, in all of MLS. Heber has missed the most chances in all of MLS. Uh, they're just not converting. So they're creating these chances. They're just not converting them, which isn't necessarily more helpful to look at, but it doesn't mean that things are all but lost, right? Something that this happens, these things, these things happens in sports, you know, where you look at in baseball, expecting batting average could be up. Julio's had some solid expecting batting average. Things are just landing for him, right? Uh, you know, there, there are these positive underlying stats that tell you that things can turn a, tor- a corner and they very well could turn a corner. Now, losing sight of that and just getting frustrated and thinking all is lost, even though we're in May in this MLS season, is foolish. And if you want to think that way, you can. But, you know, you look at some of these <coughs> excuse me, teams for the Sounders that went to MLS Cup, they, did, they weren't juggernauts for the entirety of the season. So, you know, things will have to be figured out over the course of the year. It's not like the XFL where you only play a small amount of games. And, and one loss could potentially derail things. You know, this is the MLS where things the Sounders would lose in, in, in regular season play. They lost like three of the last four and they were still able to, they're still in the, the second team in the Western conference, you know, so it's not necessarily the greatest thing. You don't want to just rely on that. You would like to maintain your spot uh, atop the conference, but just the doom and gloom just always gets you, you know, it's always ridiculous to see. So the fact is, Excuse me. Seattle is generating these chances. They're just not converting them. Now, again, that's not very helpful. They need to convert them. Uh, But it's not to say that there isn't a silver lining to these things. It's not to say that this could change here. You know, Hebera could start burying these things. The club as a whole could start burying these things. Jordan Morris has cooled off. Yes. Um, And the midfield play has been, it could be better. But it's tough. I mean, we look at that list. Obed Vargas, who's been uh, good for him, that he's, he he uh, he started actually for Team USA in the U twenty World Cup. He's he's achieving that. And he's getting better. <coughs> here without Christian Roldan, who's been a huge part of this this club for the last few years, and who since he's been here, as he tries to get his way back, Kellen Rowe is solid defensively uh, in terms of your. We don't even need to speak to Raul's impact and what he can do because we know what he can do when he's healthy. So it's tough, you know, with these injuries right now and considering the fact that you are generating chances and that they do exist and then you're not burying them. But I'm not going to say that's all is lost considering that we're in May and the fact that the MLS season runs for several months past May. So again, it's tough right now. I understand that it's very frustrating. I hate losing to Vancouver in general. Uh, it just feels dirty and wrong. Um, but, you know, this is something that can be made up over the course of the season. Uh, they could get hot. They could go in a streak. Uh, and again, they're still second in the Western Conference. So it could be worse. They could be at the bottom. They could be in the basement. 
Anyway, we move to team-related notes here. On the 16th, the team signed defender Cody Baker to a first-team contract. Uh, the defender uh, is signed to a first-team contract. He was a Sounders FC Academy product, signing with the Defiance in 2021, appearing in four first-team matches this season across all competitions via short-term agreements. The defender signed a four-year deal with club options in 2027 and 2028. <coughs> it's very interesting to see you know, someone like Baker, someone like Rothrock, who recently has been dealing with injuries, so that's why he's not been available for selection um, after getting a little bit bumped, actually, in the Dynamo match where he scored the game winner, um, come in and really challenge. You know, There's a lot of talent with this Defiance Club right now, just below the Sounders. Uh, we're excited to get some folks out for that here soon. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to go in and have this take place uh, with Baker, who – has looked pretty solid and I haven't found a contract looks big, you know, and another Sounders FC Academy product to, to come up and be part of the club. So that's great to note. Um, and interesting to see how much he gets used um, as the club moves forward without the course of the season. So uh, Seattle sits at a seven win, five loss, two draws record, two draw record, 23 points overall against second in the Western conference. Now fifth in all of MLS for supporter shield standings. Looking ahead, their next match is May 27th versus the New York Red Bulls, which is a 7.30 p.m. kick here in Seattle at Lumen Field. Another rare visit. Um, excuse me. I know I talked about the Pirates being a rare visit here to Seattle, but Red Bulls, I don't remember the last time that the New York Red Bulls were here. So that's going to be fun to see in a big battle. Again, May 27th, 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. You can tell I'm dealing uh, with some, somewhat of a dry throat, so we're going to throw it here. Uh, quick commercial break for you, and we'll be back with our Seattle Kraken news. Baseball is a beautiful game, especially when played in community. Earlier this summer, Baseball Beyond Borders took a powerful, eye-opening journey through the heart of the South, which included baseball, civil rights, and reconciliation. Our young kings hosted a baseball clinic at Jackson State University in Jackson, Mississippi, and hit the roads of Montgomery, Alabama, by way of the historic Edmund Pettus Bridge, to visit the Equal Justice Initiative Museum and Memorial, all in an effort to ground our kings in their history and find serenity in the sport they love to preserve the cultural legacy. Join Baseball Beyond Borders on September 27th for the premiere of our film, Reconciliation Tour, at T-Mobile Park. Alice Pavilion from 3 to 5 p.m. Hear from those on the front line as well as special guests as we elevate our promise to bring healing through play. For tickets or to donate, visit baseballbeyond.org or check our social media platforms. All right, thank you for the commercial break. Uh, Reconciliation Tour actually is nominated for an Emmy. Uh, which is very exciting to uh, to see. Uh, it's a great film. Uh, one of the one of the numerous films actually that Converge Media has um, on Alaska airline flights. I actually watched a few of those on the way down to spring training this year. So um, it, it's always great the story of baseball uh, in many different forms. Um, I'm see yeah, I'm getting hung up on it. We've got Kraken news to cover, but yeah, Reconciliation Tour. If you haven't taken part in in, in viewing that you should change that immediately. We can nominate it for an Emmy. So um, we move over here to our Kraken news. And it's, you know, it was just on Monday, you know, last week that we were talking to you and this game was taking place. And it just feels like, like a month 
<laughs> has passed. Excuse me, since game seven. Um, I wish it hadn't been because we'd still be playing games and we would have been at these games and just not the case. Um, game seven, May 15th, Monday at the Dallas Stars. Our Kraken would have their season end in Dallas with a one to two loss. Uh, I played the game goaltender Philip Grubauer, Gruby, 24 saves, a 929 save percentage, and a 1.51 uh, goals saved above expected. So, and this was a tough game. You know, we got our, our playoff blue shirts from the Kraken team store. Um, it was a tough one. You know, any game seven is going to be intense. Dallas is a very good team, a lot of good depth. Jake Ottinger is great in between the pipes for them, especially in the playoffs. Uh, they've got depth and star power, which is something that not a lot of teams have. Uh, and they were just the better team in this one. Seattle wasn't able to get their forecheck going early like they had been. Dallas was was the one who had the energy early. Um, they had a two-goal lead in, uh, before Seattle would get one late with about 16.7 seconds left. There was like a very small window where Jordan Eberle might have had a goal to tie things up in the dying seconds. Uh, but ultimately, Seattle just wasn't able to generate enough offensively. Uh, that was a big key for them, you know, in the losses was not generating enough in the high slot. Uh, getting, you know, Dallas kept them to a lot of the outside uh, and trying to force Seattle outside and get them to beat them that way. Uh, and Seattle wasn't able to do so, you know. Uh, it was a tough loss. Again, you know, this was tight throughout. Gruby did great. Those two goals that the Stars were able to get were ones that were capitalizing on cracking mistakes. Uh, <clears throat> Dallas had sent a puck up the ice. Jamie Alexiak was backpedaling, trying to... Um, essentially move it up back up the ice as he retreated back into his own zone, took a weird bounce on, 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 uh, on arrival um, after, you know, Dallas had sent it up through the, uh, through the air and Rupe hints, great, great high energy player. One of the better players in all of the NHL Stanley cup playoffs um, was right on the spot for Dallas. And he was able to take it in for a breakaway opportunity uh, in a manner like, like all one fell swoop. Um, so, and then, and then the second goal for Dallas, uh, they sent it up the ice. There was no icing. It bounced right off the boards, right to Wyatt Johnson, right to Wyatt Johnson, who was uh, ahead of the Kraken, Kraken skaters. That's actually forwards who were back there for Seattle, not defensemen. Uh, and he was able to send a wicked shot, <coughs> excuse me, up Grubauer, uh, his shoulder and in the net. So. Again, this is a good Dallas team. You know, uh, a lot of people didn't expect Seattle to even make it to this to this spot, let alone make it to the playoffs. But to push and beat the defending champion Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, defending champion uh, Colorado Avalanche in round one, seven games in their building, and then to push this Dallas Stars team to seven games, uh, nearly beat them, is, is is something to really be proud of. You know, this is a team in a second year, a bunch of guys who are essentially considered misfits and even adding some quote unquote misfits this year uh, with a guy like Lee Tolvin and on waivers. It's only up from here. You know, Seattle's got a lot of bright spots in their in their prospect pool. And, you know, there are guys who are young and just getting better. Uh, Matty Beneers is all but the Calder Calder Trophy winner. Um You've got a bunch of talent. Ty, Ty Cartier was a guy who came in and uh, made an impact in this playoff run, and he won the AHL Rookie of the Year uh, for Seattle's AHL affiliate, the Coachella Valley Firebirds. And that Firebirds team is moving on to the Western Conference Finals in the AHL. So in, in their first year 
as a franchise in the NHL uh, as this team's affiliate. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to look forward to. And even below that, in terms of other um, other prospects for this team, and they already have a lot of draft capital in the next few drafts, and especially this draft, which is considered by many as one of the deeper drafts in recent years. So, um, you know, <clears throat> and you did all of this with this playoff run in the last 32 games of the regular season without Andre Burakovsky. You know, you add Andre Burakovsky to this team for this playoff run, a healthy Andre Burakovsky, who is dealing with a, a torn groin, uh, we're probably looking at a team that's in the Western Conference Finals right now against the, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, you know, or if they had them for the last 32 games of the regular season, maybe it's Seattle who's got one of the top spots, uh, top seeds. So I don't know. There's a lot to be happy with, um, with this Kraken team. It's tough that it ended this way. You know, game seven, it's always going to be tough in any sport where they have a game seven, but it was a ton of fun to witness all of this and cover all of this. Um, Kraken uh, exit interviews were also a good amount of fun. A lot of players expressed, you know, how much fun it was to be a part of this team and to be a part of the atmosphere in Seattle throughout the course of the regular season, uh, as well as Stanley Cup playoffs um, in Seattle. So that sort of thing was nice. We'll have our season recap next week uh, to go over that. But just a ton of fun to have that all take place here uh, and to be able to witness that. So with that, we head over here. Not, not so fun. This, this was a, this was a tough game. Um, we look over here to our old rain uh, who were turned home after the shutout loss in North Carolina against the courage, a one to nothing, one to nothing loss. You know, that's a tough one. Um, you know, Seattle has struggled I always say Seattle with the rain. It's not necessarily wrong, um, but they don't really market themselves as Seattle, so it's hard to, you know, it, it still applies. The rain, you know, has historically have kind of struggled in North Carolina anyway. So losing one and nothing to that club is not the biggest deal in the world. It's it's frustrating and it's tough because yeah, the rain didn't generate enough, but I wouldn't say it's it's something to be super upset about or, or too troubling, honestly. This one, a little bit different, um, as you can see here. A one-to-four loss against Gotham. Now, Gotham, it's, it's not because Gotham is a bad team. You know, Gotham is a good club. They've got a lot of talent on that roster. It's just losing by one-to-four, you know, for most of the match uh, being down by three or more. That's what's troublesome. And, you know, it was the matter of which those goals were scored here as we'll go to the, our photo of the match by Liz Walter. Um, you know, the first two goals of the match were scored in the 10th and 12th minute, and they were by defensive errors uh, by the rain. The first one, uh, Jenna Neiswanger got open on the outside and was able to bring it down and had enough, certainly more than enough room to fire off a shot and beat Fallon to his choice far post. Fallon looked a little bit, maybe out of place, had to die for a ball that, you know, maybe she should have been or would have been in the past <coughs> ready for, um, which was kind of surprising. But then in the 12th minute, um, 
the rain were trying to get some attacks started. Uh, Gotham was able to jump on it. Christy Mewis sent it up the field um, to just kind of start anything out of nothing. Lou Barnes was in position to receive it and try to clear it, but the ball came way too weak off of her foot. Maybe it was a mishit of sorts. And Lynn Williams was in pursuit. And Lynn Williams, I mean, I don't need to speak too much to the danger that she presents. Um, was able to get a breakaway opportunity and make it two to nothing um, after a span of just two minutes, two goals in two minutes. And you're just kind of like, what is happening? It was unfortunate, you know, considering, um, again, the rain were able to not generate enough uh, throughout the course of this match. Jordan Heidema, uh, for Jordan Heidema, had the only goal of this match uh, and our player of the match because of it. A 7.6 match rating, one goal, three shots, 79% passing, and one chance created. It was it was Heidema and Balser throughout the course of the match who had, you know, a handful of chances each where they would they would get a, like a breakaway chance or had a nice pocket, uh, but their shot would go right into the chest of Abby Smith, the Gotham goalkeeper. And it was like, you, you got to be able to finish there. It's similar in a way to the struggles with the Sounders where it was like why you, you're able to generate things you're just not able to finish them and that was that's been the issue with the rain last year especially especially you know it was only a few weeks ago that this club had scored nine goals in three games and you thought okay maybe things are able to maybe the ball is moving here maybe things are getting better in this department but I mean, over the last few matches, things haven't worked uh, have worked out very well. Um, and Captain Just Fishlock and Ford Jordan Heidema and head coach Laura Harvey all after this match were basically like, hey, we things aren't going well. So we have to look internally and figure that out. Because, uh, I mean, we've seen what this, this club is capable of um, in the last few years. And even this roster uh, this year. So it, it's, it's something internal. It's not like you can look at this club – and look at really any position group and say, okay, they can go, they need to add here. This is this is a well built roster. It's just something that needs to be worked out internally. Um, and I have faith that it will be, you know, especially with with the OGs, with the veteran presence that's within this locker room. But um, it's tough because they just really, you know, there's uh, having Rose Lavelle out. Is, is frustrating as well. We'll get to the injury report here in a second. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, you've got Angelina's been out since last year. She is working back into full training with the club. So that's positive. I, I don't know if we have a timeline for when we'll see Angelina. Um, but having Rose out is unfortunate. Everybody's freaking out because Rose is out. Rose Lavelle is uh, supposed to be returning to full training with the club somewhat soon. Um, they're all freaking out. Why haven't we heard updates on Rose Lavelle? Rose is fine. I have full confidence in that. But considering that it's a World Cup year, please understand that the Reign are more than likely being as cautious as they can with Rose so that she can be a participant and a, a full participant with the U.S. Women's National Team when the World Cup comes around. Remember that. You know, we've got that coming up. So, and then Phoebe McLaren, who uh, unfortunately continues to deal with a back injury, and any back injury is concerning in, in any department. So... Uh, but outside of that, I mean, Quinn is back for selection. They started the match. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Olivia Vanderyat is back and was available for selection in this match, but did not participate, was not subbed on. So you're getting players back and healthy. You're getting that midfield especially back healthy to an extent. Again, Rose is a big loss um, as she continues to work back. But 
there's more than enough talent on this roster to be able to work through that. You know, I mean, Rose has been out for that. Rose was out for that stretch where they scored nine goals in three matches. So this is all internal. I really think it is. And again, it's not like this regular season is going to end really quickly here on us. There's still time to figure this out. Um, and they've got their next match at home against Angel City. Uh, so they'll have some time to train at home. They won't have to deal with traveling and such for that. Um, so it's a prime opportunity to sit down and look in, look inward and, and get on the practice field to work on that. But it has to be internal. It has to be within this locker room that this gets fixed, you know. There were a lot of chances that probably should have been, should have been finished. There's not enough generation that's taking place. There were sloppy mistakes on defense that need to be cleaned up internally. We, we, we've seen them what this back line is capable of um, throughout the course of the year and last year. You know, so it's not like you're going to shake that up. Um, so, again, this is all internal. And, again, Fishlock, Heidema, and Harvey all said this is something that we'll need to, to work on and discuss um, inward um, and then fix it. So uh, we have to, we'll see if that's something that can happen um, in the near future as the next match um, is May 27th here at home. So the Reign have a four win, three loss, one draw record. They are fifth in the league table with 13 points, still first in the uh, Western division of the Challenge Cup with four points. Uh, looking ahead, their next match is May 27th versus Angel City FC with a 12.30 p.m. Pacific time start. Excuse me. This isn't one of those instances of many over the course of the regular season where the rain are essentially playing a doubleheader with the Sounders as the Sounders play at like seven. Oh, yeah, that's the the Red Bulls game at 730 that night. But it's not marketed as a doubleheader just because it's two teams in Angel City and, you know, California, New York. You don't really market those as a doubleheader. Um but again, this is like I just talked about, like I just harped on, this is an opportunity for the rain to sit down and try and figure things out internally. Um, heading over to our Seawolves things, continue to roll on for the Seawolves. They would defeat the Chicago Hounds on May 20th with a score of 35 to 13. Our player of the match, JP Smith. Um, Smith, one try scored, five points scored. So not the, the biggest in terms of the tries uh, necessarily. What in the world? Oh, I wonder if that's new. I don't know if MLRs. I'm I'm sitting here trying to to check some stats on the MLR website, and they've got the Miami Sharks logo up. I don't know if that's been confirmed. I don't know if that's something I'm learning on the fly. Um, but it would be Seattle's fourth straight victory. My apologies, fourth straight victory. Um. JP Smith, yes, one try scored, five points scored, 220 kicking, me kicking meters, nine tackles made, and 70 running meters on the day. So a nice sort of overall game for JP Smith in the, you know, this is a game against Chicago. Chicago struggled in their first year in MLR. Seattle had to take care of business here. And three of the last four matches have been Seattle needing to do that. Great tune-up opportunities for the Seawolves after a tough two-game uh, two losing streak um, in the middle there against two good teams in the Western Conference. You know, Chicago, you know, again, they've struggled to begin their existence in MLR. Houston, that was a big comeback victory against one of, at the time, the third team in the Western Conference. I believe now Utah has overtaken them for that spot in the West. Uh, Dallas, Dallas has struggled in their two years of existence in the MLR. Uh, that was a big win in April. 
Um, and then against Toronto on the road, they had to come back a little bit for that one on the road up, up in the great North. Um, but they were able to still take care of business there. Yeah. I'm very interested. I'm sorry. I'm very interested to see if that, um, if that Miami Sharks news is official yet, because I haven't seen anything about that. That's that's something to worry about on my own time, um, because I know the MLR is really trying to expand heavily um, in the next few years. <coughs> no, they have a website and everything. Okay. Oh, this was not just. Oh, MLR did not really market that very well. Okay. <laughs> um, I, this this was a match. I, I I wouldn't take too much stake into it. This is one that Seattle really needed to take care of business in, uh, like the last three of the last four, as I mentioned against Dallas, against uh, da- uh, Toronto. There we go, um, and they were able to do so. You know, this was something that they needed to do. Uh, they're still without Rico Tatting, so it's good that they have these matches that he's recovering now where it's not this like important stretch where they need to beat Utah or beat Houston. Uh, they got these little tune-up games essentially out of the way and it's still vague. You know, the, the recovery timeline is end of the regular season, which that could be in two matches. It could be the last match, you know, against San Diego in the finale. And there's, there's no clear timeline for that. Um, you play old glory next, which I mean, they were, they gave them, they gave Seattle a fight last year. Um, but yeah, you've got those tune-up games, and that was kind of it. That was probably your easiest stretch of the regular season because now things are going to get serious. You've got Old Glory here, who sits at second in the Western Conference. Um, there's their record's even not that great. I mean, there's one really scary team, I guess you could say, in the East, and Seattle will play them the uh second to last match of the regular season well it's at home too so that's good uh that'll be a big bout but old glory the second best team in the eastern conference utah who has now taken third third in the west uh saddle's good in the west unlike john morant um who you lost to earlier in the regular season so you have to avenge that loss against utah if you want to get any sort of inkling of catching up to san diego who's first in the western conference which that's considering that there's the considering how they've rolled along this season it's unlikely unfortunately um so second team in the eastern conference next week third team in the western conference the week after first in the east after that and then the first in the west to finish out the regular season it's not going to be an easy stretch <coughs> especially the fact that the Seawolves are without their captain. So, you know, as I mentioned, nice to have that stretch of the regular season that was the easiest to get that tune-up in to to really get back in and get some momentum building. But these next few matches are where things are getting important in terms of seeding and, and momentum heading into the playoffs. Uh, you don't want to come in like a, a rudderless plane going into the playoffs. So it's going to be a big stretch here moving forward. It's nice to have these games where you're able to build things up and move forward positively with momentum, but things are going to get really serious in the next few weeks for our Seawolves. So as I mentioned, looking ahead, the Seawolves sit at a 10-2 and record on the regular season with 49 standings points against second in the league and second in the Western Conference. Uh, their next matchup is May 27th at Old Glory, uh, which is a 3 p.m. start, which isn't in our nation's capital, if you can't tell by the logo there. Um, that one, I know it's always interesting 
uh, where to watch these. But if you go to the website, therugbynetwork.com, it's all one word. They are the official, essentially, streaming partner of MLR and the easiest way, and they're free to watch these Seawolves games. I do it best when they're on the road. So to wrap things up, a little bit different here to go with our star of the week. I'm going with our Seattle Thunderbirds, who recently won the WHL championship um, down at Kent at the Shower Center. This is a great opportunity, as you can see in the bottom of our screen, of your screen, to follow CSS Futures. We've been covering the Thunderbirds since January. On CSS Futures, we cover Ballard FC, if you heard of them. They are USL League Two. They are a great atmosphere at Interbase Stadium. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Thunderbirds, Everett Silvertips, HL Coachella Valley Firebirds, the uh, HL affiliate of the Seattle Kraken, the Kansas City Mavericks, who are the ECHL affiliate of the Kraken, uh, the Tacoma Defiance soon here, who are the um, MLS Next Pro affiliate of the Sounders, which is essentially, if you know baseball, the AAA affiliate. All the affiliates are the Mariners. Um, Thunderbirds won their second WHL championship in the last six years. Um, so some nice some nice hardware there and they will now go on to play in the memorial memorial cup which is like a final four of the best teams in the whl the qmjhl and the ohl the ohl is the ontario hockey league the qmjhl is the quebec major junior hockey league and then whl is the western hockey league so essentially like the best of the best it's like a champions league in a little bit of a way if you follow uh, premier league soccer and all that jazz so with that, that'll wrap up our show here. Um, again, lots of lots of teams. They're either kind of in a low period. The Seahawks are in a low period. Uh, the Sea Dragons just are now in their offseason, and I'm hoping they're back for next year. I mean, it seems they're operating like they will be. The Mariners are in full swing. The Storm are now in full swing. The Sounders, they're in full swing. They're struggling. Um, the Kraken just ended things, and we'll get a recap for you of their season next week. Um, the Rain are in full swing. The Seawolves continue to roll on with a four-game win streak. I said three games. I lied. I'm sorry. Um, just some solid, some solid sports going around. The weather's a lot nicer here lately. I'm not too good in the heat. Uh, the half Filipino side of me doesn't really help with that. Sorry, I might have blinded some people with my pale skin. Anyway, uh, take care of yourselves. Be well. Do whatever you can to make today a great day. And we'll see you here for, damn, are we going to be end of the month of May? We are. End of the month of May. produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.